It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. And when I woke up this morning, I didn't have to listen to Mark Sanchez. So it's been a good day so far. Will Raggetts, cover the Vikings for SI.com. And uh, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback who's ever walked this earth. Last night was another reminder of that. This is Arif Hassan with Pro Football Network. I am in Boston Logan Airport, where Mark Wahlberg has a restaurant called Wahlburgers. I think that's great. Luke Inman here, Superior Sports Talk, ready to get the Matt Daniels Special Teams Coach of the Year hype train started. So Will Raggett's filling in today, but wait, where's Luke Braun? We got a double dunk in London! Vikings win and go to 3 and 28 to 25. Most frustrating game I've ever seen. I'm going to have so much to say about this one later. But for now, let's go! Fight, fight, fight! Oh, It's the Minnesota football party. Let's get it going. Locked on sports, Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out, talking next-level Vikings football. Plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota football party. And it starts now. Welcome in. It's the Minnesota football party on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Once again, I'm Sam Ekstrom of Lockdown Sports Minnesota, the Ron Johnson show in particular. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network, and Will Raggett's filling in for just an exuberant Luke Braun. He is at Will Raggett's on Twitter. Check out his work at Sports Illustrated Inside the Vikings. On today's show, we've got quarter season grades, offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. We talk about the double doink. Justin Jefferson goes off, but the offense can't score, and the injury bug hitting the Minnesota Vikings. Quick reminder that the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app is available on Amazon Fire and Roku. It's a great viewing experience. You can get all of our programming right on Amazon Fire or Roku with the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app. Check it out. Gentlemen, you woke up on Sunday morning, flipped on the telly, or in Arif's case, went to the game. Um, curious to hear about Arif's experience at the game because he actually didn't have to wake up early for it. Um, let's start with you, Arif. You were there. You're now in Boston um, at an airport once again. That's your new habitat for our podcast, I guess. Um, how was the game? Uh, it was fantastic. I mean, the atmosphere was phenomenal. Uh, Tottenham Stadium is beautiful. Um, they, they couldn't have picked like a better stadium for this to happen, and it was gorgeous, and I had a ton of fun. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's always strange when you go to like a neutral site game where you expect to see kind of a lot of fans of both teams, but a lot of fans of, of neither team. And so – uh, it was like whenever either team was on offense, there was a ton of noise. They had to adapt to that. Uh, and they would just like randomly break out into various team chants, primarily Vikings and Saints, but occasionally, you know, another random team chant. I've never been in an atmosphere like it. It was a ton of fun. So I've got an early party foul. For those of us that had to watch at home, the camera work on the double doink left a lot to be desired. Like the NFL mm -hmm. network, they had a tough time in general. Um but I didn't really know what happened until they showed the replay. I mean, you could see the ball kind of deflecting, but the scoreboard got in the way. So, Will Raggetts, you're watching at home. You see that come off of Will Lutz's foot. And after seeing him hit the 60, you just assume this is going to be good. And somehow, and the, the slow-mo video is unreal, watching that thing back. How does that not go through the uprights? Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. As soon as he kicked it, I thought it was going in just – he had made the previous one, and it looked true, I mean, just in terms of mm -hmm. the accuracy that we could see. But, yeah, they pan down, like, a half second too late for you to tell what happened. So you just see it hit the ground. You're not sure if it went in front of the crossbar, behind the crossbar, and then it wasn't until the refs actually signaled and people, the Vikings started celebrating that I, I knew what happened. But, yeah, the, the replay is insane. I mean, I think it's even crazier that not not the same stakes, but the, the famous Chicago double doink, like, this one just, if, if it's even like a fraction of an inch 
to the right or, or whatever it was like that thing could go in and that's this is an entirely different conversation if the vikings lose uh, in overtime so crazy ending to a, a what turned out to be a wild game yeah we're talking about the soft defense with 24 seconds left the catch over the middle harrison smith getting hit in a sensitive area and costing the vikings um valuable seconds there off the clock um luke was it always called the like was the double doink called the double doink until cody parkey did it for the bears like was that the first double doink in football history that we can recall and is this the second double doink what's the history of double doinks I, I don't even know. I, I, you're asking the wrong guy, Sam. I have no idea. I just think it's a lot of fun to say double doink and being on the right side of that double doink yesterday, just a cherry on top. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, that was wild. Um, there are a lot of angles to get into in this game. So before we kind of talk quarter season grades, um, it feels weird. It feels really weird because the Vikings have struggled for the most part in two consecutive weeks. The underlying numbers on offense and defense are thoroughly average, if not below average. Um, and if you lose either of these games, the Vikings are getting eviscerated today. I mean, they're getting eviscerated all week. So it feels weird to talk about things in such a positive light, and you kind of have to. They're 3-1. and one. They have won the games at the end, which they were not doing last year. It's hard to quantify the impact of a coach, but they are playing down the stretch better in the Kevin O'Connell era than, than the end of the Mike Zimmer era. So that counts for something. Um, Arif, how do you contextualize this 3 and one team that some people might say is a little fraudulent? Uh, you know, every so often we get, like, this conversation, like, blank team is the worst uh, blank team of all time or the best blank team of all time. I remember the Packers when they were 13-3 and were the, quote, worst 13-3 team of all time. The Giants were the worst 2-0 and team of all time. The best um, one you know, is, was the Panthers or the worst 15-1 and team of all time? That's my favorite. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's good. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, uh, you know, th those conversations will pop up, and I, I actually really enjoy them. I can see why fans are very annoyed by that kind of conversation. But I, I do enjoy them because it gives us some, some context for who the team is. And I feel like while the Vikings are not the worst 3-1 and team of all time, any reasonable stretch of the imagination, you can see, like, why I brought it up, right? Because the record does not reflect – you know, the, the quality of play that we've seen from them. They've had one good game. Um, I, I think I tweeted out they're 2-1 in moral losses, right? Like, they they just don't play well. <laughs> they haven't played well. They haven't played in any way that, like, um, you know, instills any confidence. Um, the, the defense feels like that they will give up a lot of points at any moment. The fact that they didn't give up a ton of points in the final half of either of those two, the Lions or the, or the Eagles game, um, I don't think anybody is taking anything away from that. That doesn't feel like, hey, this is a defense that tightened up. It feels like a defense that stopped effing up, right? Like, that's a, there's, there's a total difference there, right? And so I, there's no confidence in the defense. The offense can't seem to score when it gets into the red zone, um, which I know we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, and they don't seem to have answers when uh, defenses pose problems, right? And if that's the case, what what is the team doing? So I guess it feels like a, it, an eight and nine, nine and eight team, maybe eight, eight and one team, but it just, it's even hard to say that. I don't know what the team feels like. Yeah. And Luke Inman, like, I, I guess I don't know if we're going to learn that much more in the next two weeks either, because the Vikings could, they could stumble into a win against the bears easily. They could not play well and they could easily win that game. Uh, maybe they face Teddy in week six. Maybe they, they limp to a win against Miami. We could keep having this conversation but eventually, the record is is what you are. So is this team worthy of being taken seriously? Or if not, what would they need to do to prove that they will be taken seriously? Well, well, I like what you opened with. Like, if they lose either of those last two games, fans are probably really laid in on KOC all week. You win these close games. It makes the offensive struggle specifically easier to swallow, go back and watch the film. But, Sam, it's like at the same time, what are we saying if Justin Jefferson hauls in that drop touchdown pass or if they don't have some of those killer penalties in the red zone? And, you know, talking about the offense and offense, honing in on that specifically, I, I don't think the sputtering offense is all on one thing right now. Kirk still doesn't look totally comfortable back there. Panicky, double clutching that ball, second guessing. But when he is making the right reads, guys are dropping passes. Johnny Munt, JJ, CJ Ham. Penalties were a killer yesterday. Saints shot themselves in the foot more with 10 penalties for 105 yards to so the Vikings five, but they were at critical moments. First and goal from the three, you get a delay a game. 
two penalties from Brian O'Neill. When's the last time we've said that? Uh, Cousins with the grounding penalty, the pick play on Osborne wiped out that TD. So it's not just one thing right now. And the great news is, I think is that the large majority of this stuff is correctable. It's self-inflicting that you can clean up. So there's a lot of reason for optimism, I think, no matter what they do in these next two games. But at the same time, a lot of reason why fans should be frustrated because you see how much meat's on the bone right now that they're leaving. Three and one, awfully nice, feels good. So many missed opportunities, though, that you can call out in, in all four of these games that they've played this season. Will, let's get your thoughts on it. Is this a, a fraudulent 3 and one team, or is this going to be a sign of things to come? Vikings winning close games, building up that record. Yeah, I mean, you can always look at things one of two ways. I think the pessimistic view is, hey, this team could easily be 2-2, two 1-3. Two, They're probably due for some regression. You're not going to be able to win every close game. I mean, you, you also aren't going to lose every close game like they did uh, last year a lot of time. But uh, the optimistic view is, hey, they're not playing very well. They're four games into this kind of new scheme, new era, new systems, and they're still finding ways to win games, which is encouraging because then if you start to correct some of these things uh, and fix some of the mistakes, then maybe you start, this is what KOC has said after every game, like we need to get more consistent so we don't have to come back. It doesn't have to be this dramatic ending. And uh, that could start next week against the Bears, who are a, a great opportunity to kind of get right. I mean, it feels weird to say a team needs to get right when they're, they've won two in a row, but... Uh, if the Vikings are able to come out, fix some things, score touchdowns in the red zone, uh, figure something out defensively to play a little better, uh, which shouldn't be too hard against this Bears offense, then uh, then you start feeling a little better by yourself if they're able to win that comfortably and go into that uh, Miami game ride in a three-game winning streak. Yeah, 26th in red zone, 28th on third down right now. Mm. This offense is failing in the critical moments, and I think that's why it's hard to be bullish on Kirk and KOC when really no one is overperforming except maybe the offensive line. Um, and you don't see some of those creative elements that you hope to see. There's nothing groundbreaking about this offense. In fact, we saw maybe even better versions of this offense under previous coordinators. So there's still time to improve that, obviously. And there is a learning curve, but I think fans are going to get antsy to see that. And if a loss or two comes their way, then it becomes even more difficult to swallow. I like what you said, Luke, though, about there were some moments where in the red zone, if they just make a simple play, we might be looking at it differently. Maybe they win that game more easily. Maybe they score 35 points. A drop by Munt on third and one. Um, O'Neal had a false start that kind of harpooned the one drive along with the bizarre clock management thing at the end of the first half. Jefferson drops it on the adjustment behind him. He probably needs to haul that in. So there are things that won't always happen. You're not always going to drop a really nice play on third and one where Munt was going to roll maybe into the end zone. Um, so that's not always going to happen. So I guess if you compare it to the Philadelphia game where Kirk was throwing YOLO picks into the end zone, this was improvement on that. The Vikings did score on 7 of 11 drives. But you're going to need to convert when you play legitimate opponents. And the Saints were completely banged up. Their offense was in shambles, and yet they still kind of had the Vikings on their heels there in the second half. Um, any diagnoses on your part, Arif, on why this offense is struggling to finish the deal when it gets deep into opponent territory? Um, I mean, like, first thing uh, to note is that uh, the good news is that, you know, red zone rate, red zone touchdown rate, uh, is subject to significant regression. It, it tends not to sustain itself, whatever it's at, uh, and it tends to meet in the middle somewhere. Um, the reason that that's the case, I don't know. It might be because of a, a small sample size. It might also be because teams, you know, make corrections, you know, the same way that fumble rates tend to regress because teams make corrections. Um, and I think that if that's the case, with the corrections that they need to make, um, some of them, I think, have to do with Kirk Cousins. You know, I think that this is probably the most, uh, you know, quote-unquote accurate Kirk Cousins game uh, so far this year. That includes the Green Bay game, I'm saying. Um, in terms of getting the ball to hit the receiver's hands, uh, but in terms of enabling the receiver to do as much as they can, uh, we didn't we didn't see that right. Like maybe the Johnny Munt one was a pretty good throw. Maybe the but like the two Justin Jefferson drops right. There's the one in the end zone and there's the one um, that got dislodged as he got hit. Both of those mm -hmm. were were primarily I think because of Kirk. You know the ball placement on the end zone one and just kind of the late timing on the other one that allowed the receiver to uh, that allowed the defensive back to get to him. And just we kind of see this again and again where the ball placement's not spectacular and the receivers are having to, to make adjustments, particularly high. He's throwing high a lot this year. don't know why that is. 
Um, and I think that that has a bigger impact in the red zone when, you know, windows are tighter, defenders are closer, and they've got the ability to impact the reception a lot. So I think that's playing a role. I think also, I mean, the run game is bad, right? Like the, that matters in the red zone, right? Uh, it's kind of one of the few places where I think everybody kind of agrees that the running game is significant, especially as you get to the goal line. And if you cannot run the ball, uh, it becomes so much harder to score on a consistent basis in the red zone. Um, so I think those two are probably the biggest reasons. Um, I think that they'll probably make some corrections, uh, invest in some play design opportunities uh, and change what they do in the red zone. And just in terms of like the way that they want to approach some of these problems. Um, but for now, you know, it, it is kind of a disaster that has like multiple causes. Will Raggetts, how do you look at the offensive struggles? Yeah, the red zone stuff is is weird because you can pick apart each one and it's kind of random. Like the Munt drop, which was followed up by Kevin O'Connell at 7-7 at the time, deciding to kick a field goal on fourth and one from the 28, <laughs> which maybe you could say he should be a little bit more aggressive there. Um, there's, there's the penalties, which are probably mostly random. You don't see Brian O'Neill commit a lot of penalties. But if there's one thing that's concerning to me, it's just the Kirk Cousins aspect where, like, is he good enough to consistently finish these drives? Because there's some accuracy stuff, the, the ball behind Jefferson. There's also just the, the decision-making and the, is he making the right reads that you can, you can talk about for any quarterback, but it is a pretty blatant one when Jefferson comes open in the back corner of the end zone and Cousins checks it down to Adam Thielen for two yards. And, and people will say, like, Marshawn Lattimore was there. He was, in my eyes, he was kind of already breaking towards Thielen on that play. And there's, there's a chance to put a ball in the back of the end zone where only Jefferson could get it. I think Kirk kind of admitted that himself after the game. Like, yeah, I thought the safety was uh, was sinking and he was, or the corner was sinking and he wasn't. Uh, so that would be the one concern for me is just the Kirk Cousins element of it. And obviously we've seen him play well and then finish drives in the end zone a, a lot of time, but um, I need to see a little bit more to feel really confident that he is going to be able to uh, cap off a lot of these drives with seven points. Why don't we just go around, Luke, I want your thoughts on the offense, and then let's give a Kirk grade to kick off our quarter season grade. So, Luke, why is the offense struggling, and what is Kirk's grade through four games? Well, I think Will made a lot of good points about Kirk. He's just simply not comfortable yet in this offense for a variety of reasons. But I'll go back to what Arif mentioned. This running game is not doing him any favors right now. It's in the bottom third in multiple categories. Yesterday, Dalvin had a really hard time getting anything going. And it's one thing, um, you know, if you're struggling, you know, the, the average per attempt isn't that high. But when you're not able to get two, three, or four yards on even just some of those uh, carries, it makes things so much harder on third and long situations. And Kirk knows they're pinning their ears back. He's getting panicky. Again, he's double clutching. He just doesn't look comfortable. That running game, both just uh, in between the 20s and in the red zone, like Reef mentioned, needs to get going here. And they need to try a few different things, a few different wrinkles to try to get Dalvin or Madison cooking down in the red zone specifically. I think that'll help open up things. Um, so far, I'd give Kirk a probably a C plus, C, C plus. I think he's average. Um, again, Arif mentioned uh, some of these throws are just not on target. Um, the CJ Ham wheel route. Yeah, CJ, it did hit uh, his hands, but also probably could have been thrown a little bit better as well. Um, he's also dealt with a lot of drops, so you got to give him a little bit of grace there too. But I think he's just been average so far. But again, a lot of potential to grow here. I think it's normal, uh, you know, eight years under a somewhat similar offensive scheme um, all of a sudden you get this new playbook, new verbiage, new wrinkles, a lot of different personnel looks and things like that, that the first couple of weeks you're going to struggle, um, but you see the potential is there to grow. So CC plus would be my grade right now through four weeks on Kirk Cousins. Feels, that feels like about the over-under, CC plus. So would you go over yeah. or under that grade, Arif? It kind of de depends on how much of a curve we're grading against, right? Because the quarterback play around the league this year has been pretty putrid, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that context, you could say, hey, Kirk Cousins has not been as bad as some of these high-level quarterbacks. I mean, like, even when Aaron Rodgers has looked in rhythm, right? Like, you know, last week against Tampa Bay, he had a couple of moments where he looked in rhythm. He also looked out of rhythm for the rest of the game. You know, obviously this last week I think was his best game so far. But, like, it would, you could make the case that, you know, Cousins has been playing better than him, which is wild to me, right? And so if you um, – just take into account the fact that the only quarterbacks that seem to be playing well are like 
Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and like Trevor Lawrence, I guess somehow, uh, as well as Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, I, I think that you can say, you know, within that context, Kirk Cousins is a, is a B minus, right? Or a B even, right? But I think that in terms of our expectations, in terms of the way that we think that the offense should be moving forward, uh, and also take into account all the expectations that are placed upon him because of things like the contract, yeah, I, w- I would stick him around a C or a C minus for sure. I, I think I'm going to stick with that over under area. Will? Yeah, well, first I want to throw three more quarterbacks that are playing well that Arif left out. Uh, Mahomes, Herbert, and Geno Smith uh, are all balling right now. So, Gino. Shout, out, shout out to those Shout out to those guys. Gino was awesome yesterday. I mean, it doesn't really count when you're playing the Lions defense that just doesn't exist. But, um, yeah, it's it's a good point that, that Arif makes. I think I'm, I'm at a C plus. Like, the Eagles game is a D or an F, so that, that hurts them a lot. The Packers game, I think – the stat line looks a little better than he performed just because there's a lot of layup wide open throws because the Packers decided not to cover Justin Jefferson. Then these last two weeks, like you can knock him for various things, but end of the day, you got to give him some credit for, Hey, he hit the throw to KJ Osborne, two throws to KJ Osborne in the final drive against the Lions, And then he steps up with kind of a classic Kirk cousins, 40 yard go ball off an outside release to Jefferson late in that, uh, in that saints game yesterday and drops it right in the bucket. And that sets up, the, uh, the go-ahead field goal. So they, there's plenty of stuff that he can improve on. I think Luke's point is is very true. Like, he just doesn't seem to be really clicking in this offense quite yet. But I think that might get there because of the familiarity with Kevin O'Connell and because of the weapons that he has and the way the offensive line outside of yesterday has been playing. Like, the opportunity will be there for, for Kirk to keep playing better. We'll see if he can do it. But I, I think C-plus is fair through four games. Yeah, if C-plus is the line, I would go slightly under at the C, and I do give him major credit for the end of the Lions and the end of the Saints games where he did make the necessary throws. And he could have melted in those situations and has melted in the past. There he is smiling on the mural in London. That is such a curse um, they, don't need, they don't need to tear it down. <laughs> um, but, hey, he's 20th in QBR. You know, he's like 20th in EPA. Mm-hmm. He's around 20th in completion percentage. He's been very inaccurate this year, which we alluded to. So there's a lot of issues to clean up. And then when one of those four games, he literally threw you out of in the second half, you have to dock him for that. Like that kind of offsets one of those game-winning go-ahead drives. So I will land right at a solid C. Before we get into our quarter season grades overall, offense, defense, special teams, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by betonline.net, your number one source for all sports wagering info. Check out that Bears-Vikings line for this coming Sunday. The Vikings are seven-point favorites over under 42.5 against the woeful Bears offense. Now, that's a team with offensive issues. You can also get NCAA football lines, MLB, UFC, MMA, golf. It's all there, your top source for all sports wagering info, developments, news, scores, betonline.net. Check it out on your laptop, on mobile, and get all the information. Bet online, where the game starts. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. We'll also have a four-minute drill after our quarter season grades. We'll uh, let Will get his feet wet in our four-minute drill. But uh, let's go around the horn. We'll start with Luke Inman um, and keep your explanations pretty fast. But your offensive grade through the first four weeks, Luke. Offensive grade? I'm probably going to lean heavily on, obviously, the quarterback grade, which I gave a CC+. I'll give it a C because I don't think the running game has done much either. You mentioned it earlier. The offensive line has been the lone bright spot outside of yesterday. And give some credit to the Saints' defensive line in front seven, Demario Davis, Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport. That's a solid front seven that they face. But clearly their worst outing of the season. Up until that point, though, uh, Brian O'Neill, uh, pass run block win rate in the top five in multiple categories. Christian Darisaw was in the top 10 as well. 
Uh, they've been really solid. But overall, the running game, for whatever reason, they need to start switching some things up. I don't know exactly what that is going to be, but hopefully they can get some different looks in there because this running game, again, the way it's stalling, it's not doing this offense any favors. And I think as well, too, maybe they're getting to a point where they just need to, instead of force-feeding Dalvin, maybe try to pass to set up the run later in the game. Maybe they're not finding the right rhythm or kind of marriage between the run and the pass right now. And for whatever reason, that running game's just not clicking. Dalvin, we know, is kind of a boomer bust runner, as is. Um, but he's just not, you know, kind of striking that long one. Um, so his struggles, I think, um, are making Kirk's life a little bit more difficult than it than it probably will be as we continue to move on over these next few weeks. But overall, yeah, Sam, I, I would go with a C. Arif? Yeah, I'm going to stick with a C minus. I think that that makes the most sense to me. I mean, they have an average uh, points per drive. They've got an average uh, DVOA, any other kind of offensive metric that you want to use. They're about 15th to 18th in the league. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way the passing game has gone. I think that, you know, we've had some really good Justin Jefferson moments, which would buoy the grade of the offense. We've had some really good moments from Christian Derrissaw and Brian O'Neill accepting last week, or I guess last night. Um, that, I think, generally boosts the grade. But, you know, we've seen some really poor uh, performances from uh, the run blocking unit, the interior unit in particular. We've seen some poor performances even from Dalvin Cook. I think that that drags that down. And I think that when you take a look at, you know, kind of the points that they've scored, which is about two per drive, a little bit less, um, a lot of that is helped by the fantastic field position that they've been able to get, whether that's because of opportunistic defense or more likely because of how good that special teams unit is. And so once I think you account for that, I think the points that they've scored, you know, that comes into uh, a lot more context. So to me, that's that's a bit of a C minus, uh, probably not a D plus, but, you know, kind of hovering around that area. And the scoring percentage is at 22nd in the league, number of drives that are resulting in points. And that includes yesterday where they were 7 of 11. Uh, wasn't great in the three games before that. Will Raggett's your grade? Yeah, I'll stick with a basic C. I mean, high points, Justin Jefferson, at least two of the games, uh, the offensive line for the most part, especially those tackles. Um, and there's there's been moments where it looks like it could be, it could really be something. And O'Connell's play calling is creative and uh, they're marrying, they're marrying the run in the pass and using the illusion of complexity and all these things that he talks about. And you can see, you can see the vision and see where it could become a good offense. The reality is, I mean, we have to go off the results. It just hasn't been a particularly good offense. The interior line, uh, Dalvin Cook hasn't really looked like himself to me. And yesterday, especially, like, I don't know if the shoulder thing's in his head at all. He's dealt with that before. But I would have liked to see that maybe mix in a little more Alexander Madison. Um, we'll see if they start to use maybe C.J. Ham more because they've kind of gone away from him, like, other than throwing a 30-yard go ball to him for, for whatever reason. Like, they've gone away from him as a lead blocker a lot. So I don't know if that's something they'll want to mix back in because Dalvin Cook had a lot of success with that. But, yeah, results-wise – see yeah i for one am flabbergasted that dalvin cook did not perform up to standards uh while playing through a, a pr pretty bad shoulder injury that's just stunning um i i just look at this offense and i don't see them getting the most out of players that we know they can get a lot out of and i don't see them getting anything new out of kind of the wild cards right like i don't see them getting anything out of jalen rager or Kenny Wangwu, or Ty Chandler, who hasn't been active, um, Jalen Naylor, other than like a fake punt. Like, what would impress me is if they found a new way to use pieces. And we've seen Justin Jefferson be really hot or really cold. Adam Thielen does his thing. KJ Osborne does his thing. Uh, but there's nothing groundbreaking here yet to me. And maybe that's a, a false expectation to think that a new coach, a new coach, can come in and have that impact. But you're taking a pretty good offense from before. Like, this was an offense that needed to go from good to great. This is not a situation where you just are okay with good because they were terrible. No, you needed them to be great. So, for that reason, I'm going with a C-, minus run game, not helping matters at all. Um, let's move on to the defense, and I think that we're probably going to be in that same range once again. Let's reverse the order, though. Let's go uh, Will Raggetts first. Yeah, Defensively, I, I this may seem harsh, but I might go D plus. Like, I don't know. I it just it's been a really kind of maddening unit when you look at. It seems like they're refusing to switch up what's what's getting taken advantage of and and make adjustments because they've just been sitting in these 
soft zones and, and letting kind of team like Andy Dalton, Jared Goff type quarterbacks kind of pick them apart and make easy reads and just have guys wide open consistently. And, and there's been, again, there's been moments they've, they've come up with some turnovers, which has been big, uh, but they haven't put two good halves of football together all year, unless you want to maybe say the Packers game where there were a couple opportunities for Green Bay to score more. Like first half against Philly was abysmal. First half against the Detroit was abysmal. They started out pretty well in London, but like that's what you should do against a team that doesn't have its top quarterback, its top running back, its top wide receiver, its left guard. Like that was kind of they were just playing to my expectation. And then in the second half, they just looked like the same team we'd seen the previous couple of weeks early on. Like the last four drives the Saints had, they moved the ball with ease, scored two touchdowns, had a set up a couple of long field goals pretty quickly. So it's been disappointing. I haven't seen much from Daniil Hunter in this new scheme. Sedarius Smith has been probably their most impactful player, but he was limited to 25-ish snaps yesterday with a knee injury. So, again, it's like like with the offense, the pieces are there, I think, but we just haven't really seen it come to life yet. Yeah, well stated. Arif? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to stick with a D as well. I don't know if uh, if a D- minus really exists in most grading systems. I don't think I would pick it anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, they, they tend to give up all kinds of, of yards and points. They don't tend to accomplish what they need to accomplish on a particular drive. Like Will said, they haven't put together a decent ha- or a decent full game of football since week one. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that the issues run deep. I think that the pass rush, actually, the pass rush to me is – it's kind of fine, um, but the reason it's not showing up is because of the back end, right? We're seeing problems from Jordan Hicks. We're seeing some issues from Shannon Sullivan. We're seeing a bunch of really high highs and a bunch of really low lows from Cameron Dancer. We're seeing a lot of communication errors in the back end. Um, there are all kinds of problems that make it impossible for the pass rush to get home, uh, which uh, complicates the entirety of the defense. And then the pass rush is kind of built to be um, almost uniquely a pass rush and not uh, a run defense. It's not very good. At defending the run despite the investments that they've made there and so um altogether there's just like not anything that the defense does particularly well when you kind of focus in on on what they need to be doing right so if they beat offensive tackles in pass rush it that doesn't mean anything because they're not getting pressure because quarterbacks can get rid of the ball because there's not very good coverage right donatello is always late to uh, adjust so to me i think that this is probably um a, a d team right because if you if you end up uh, with a really good second half of football, but in the first half you give up like 24 points. That's not like good, right? Especially in a low-scoring offensive environment that we're in right now. Like that just means you gave up the points at a particular time. It doesn't mean that you became a good defense. So yeah, I think I'm gonna stick with the D. Spinman. Yeah, not not too much to add there. I'll go with the C minus. I guess 27th in the league in yards allowed, but only 12th in points. So a little bit of bend but not break defense thing going on. But this is not your Mike Zimmer bend and don't break defense. There's no exotic blitzes or looks on third and long. There's no different wrinkles or packages yet. And I think the thing with Ed Donatel playing this loose shell coverage that everybody likes to mention is that. I just don't think he's super comfortable or confident playing that normal Kubiak cover one system that we're used to seeing and getting this safety down in the box. They've allowed seven rushing touchdowns already. Granted, that Philly game kind of uh, put an asterisk by that stat, but seven rushing touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns. It's not great. Um, I think they're 20th going into this week four in run stop uh, win rate and 28th in pass rush win rate going into this week. I can't imagine that'll be that much better, if anything, maybe even worse. So uh, bottom in the league in multiple categories. And again, Ed Donatel, I hate to keep leaning on a guy like Andrew Booth. Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I think they just need some fresh legs and somebody with a little bit better talent like Andrew Booth back there and healthier. I'm not saying it's going to make the world a difference by any means, but I think clearly, like Arif mentioned, a lot of the communication and issues coming in that back end in the secondary. And I think maybe once they figure some of that stuff out, uh, maybe you'll see a little bit of improvement, but you know, it's like similar to the offense that we're saying, okay, you see some potential, you expect to get better. Well, yeah, we have a lot more confidence in the offense getting better over the next few weeks with KOC and a guy like Kurt and all the weapons. Defensively with Ed Donatel and the talent that he's working with, I just don't think that uh, many fans are, are feeling very confident 
or comfortable that they will continue to get better over these next few weeks. Because clearly, like the offense, again, it's a new system. They're still figuring things out. But how long of a grace period are we going to give them? Because until we start seeing some improvements, specifically in the run game, um, I, I don't think there's much reason to be optimistic, unlike what we are with the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, C- minus and, and um, you know, again, it, it, moving forward, I just don't see a lot of room for uh, optimism right now. Yeah, not loving the Donatel experience so far. And we forget mm-hmm. that the Vikings defense actually did some pretty good stuff last year, which is crazy to say because the total points allowed, the late game meltdowns were inexcusable. But they were top five in turnover differential. They were top five in sacks. They were top five in third downs against. There was a lot of good stuff there. And when you see this team sort of sitting back, they have the fourth lowest blitz percentage in the league, 13%. So Mike Zimmer, even when his defense and his coverage was struggling, he was going to find a way to make the quarterback uncomfortable. And you could kind of count on that. And a lot of times it would work when you would get teams with their backs against the wall. That's when Zimmer really thrived. The ceiling of this defense feels low. Um, I will give them a C minus, which is on the high end, I think, only because of the points allowed. Because they have been able to create some opportune turnovers and stop teams in their territory and come up with some big, timely plays. I will give them a C-, minus, but maybe it belongs more in that D range. A couple more grades I want to give out. We've been Debbie Downers, but now we can talk about some good stuff. Special teams. Let's start with Arif. Special teams. Matt Daniels. Is he really the, uh, the greatest special teams coordinator of all time, or is he just the second best? <laughs> I think he's got a little bit of catching up to do to catch Dave too. But after uh, what Tube did the last two weeks, what Matt Daniels does the last two weeks, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously he's not going to be here for long. He's obviously going to get some head coaching opportunities with the performances that he's put together. But uh, no, I mean, it's it's been really fun to see. I think that you know he's done uh, some creative stuff, like uh, creating better field position for the Vikings by uh, by manipulating the kickoff to get. Uh, you know, the, off- the opposing offenses to start at the 15 as opposed to the 25. I think that that's really good. Uh, trying to focus on that, taking advantage of what Greg Joseph does. Making Greg Joseph a better kicker. I mean, Greg Joseph has been uh, at three separate stops, if you include the Vikings as a separate stop, uh, with the Titans, the Browns, and then the Zimmer era Vikings, and he's never been this good. I think that's really fantastic. I think you can forgive him for the missed extra point, given all the, the long field goals he's been able to make. I think that that's pretty fantastic. Picking Ryan Wright over Jordan Berry, I thought that that was a mistake. I was wrong. He did a great job uh, adjudicating that punt, uh, uh, punter position, and Ryan Wright has been phenomenal as a punter. He's been really great. I think that he's uh, a top-five punter in the league right now, which is crazy. I, we only have, like, four games. So that could change. Um, but the entire operation seems to be doing really, really well. I mean, the, the kickoff coverage is great. The punt coverage is great. The kickoff return is okay. I guess that's probably the one area where you'd want to see a little bit more, and then I would kind of wish we'd see more punt returns, but we don't see many for some reason so uh we'll be able to evaluate that a little bit more but jalen rager has been fine at part return so what was the grade i missed it a oh uh yeah let's give him an a nice i like it he deserves it luke Inman. Yeah, I got to go with it A as well. Um, Matt Daniels, just been a beast for this unit. As Arif mentioned, he's got guys playing at a really high level in all facets of that special teams game. The guts it takes, like Arif mentioned, to cut the vet punter before the season roll with the undrafted kid. I think that spoke volumes of his confidence in his ability to kind of assess and evaluate talent. He's making himself look good right now with that move. Joseph, been pretty lights out for the most part. Kenne and Rager look solid so far on kick return and punt return. And then you got things like the block field goal in Philly and the fake punt. Um, you know, that's how you get from a B grade to an A, I think. You know, the call, the execution. Knowing Ryan Wright was a quarterback in high school, doing the homework, the due diligence. He, he's really so far panned out to be a really great special teams coach, and he's really stood out in a great way and been a great addition to the Viking squad. And I think, honestly, you know, the cliche is true. Uh, special teams will win or lose you, uh, you know, two to three games a year. And cer- certainly so far, I think the difference, um, you know, in the Vikings being two and two and, and where they're sitting at right now and three and three certainly has a lot to do with uh, the special teams unit. So, yeah, I'll give an A. Yeah, the X factor in the last two games, I would say, and it's that extra mm-hmm. stuff. It's a blocked field goal, a fake punt executed, a forced fumble on punt coverage yesterday, 
a game-winning field goal yesterday, all that stuff. They're second in kickoff coverage as well. Drive start has been really good, uh, and they've occasionally flashed with some big kick returns or big punt returns. And when I say big, I mean, you know, past the 25 or maybe a a 15-yard punt return. All that is very, very good. I give an A. Will Raggetts, would you give anything except an A? No, I'll uh, I'll complete the the sweep of A's here. I mean, they're just coming up with one to two or more big plays every game that are like making a difference. And and then it's not just that; it's like he just seems to have created this really really good buy-in uh, with all the units with coverage return where guys are blocking really hard and guys are flying downfield. Like last week, Brian Asamoah flies downfield on kick coverage and makes an, an incredible tackle. Like he just seems to have gotten everybody to really value special teams and how important it can be and I mean the Vikings know that better than a lot of teams obviously go back a long time but just recently in 2020 they were like 31st in special teams DVOA um that the unit was really really bad kind of a disaster then last year under Ryan Ficken they get a lot better and then Ficken leaves during the regime change and it was like all right are they going to maybe regress but no they've just continued to ascend and get better and Matt Daniels deserves a ton of credit for that and well, maybe it's been four games. Like, let's see, let's see this continue over the full season. But so far, you can't ask for anything more. All right, I haven't started yet, so I will kick off the coaching grades. This is tough. This is this is tough. I think that Kevin O'Connell is a positive figure to rally around, and we're just talking about O'Connell here. I think that there's value in his approach, and I think he gets like a B for that. Like, I think that. If that's the extra 1% that, like, helps this team fight for him or play for each other or have cohesion, I think there's value in that. And they seem to appreciate the fun and not getting cursed out. Like, there's a lot of young players in football now, like guys that had college coaches. They kind of had that same mentality, the P.J. Fleck types that are going to be positive, energetic, and they're used to that, and they want that. So I think it's it's on the high end for the intangibles. But – I think the football stuff is closer to a C minus or a a D plus because game management has been shoddy. Um, Whether it's timeout usage, end of half, going for a, you know, choosing run plays on second and 10, which is my personal pet peeve. Um, I don't see a lot of creativity. Um, I don't necessarily see those little nuances in the course of the game, the, the play sequencing. I like that he does some tempo sometimes. I like his opening script in a couple of these games. But I'm not a gigantic fan of the X's and O's O'Connell so far. So I'm going to average out like the personality and the football stuff with a little more weight on the football stuff, and I'm going to say a C. Luke? Yeah, I'll say a C plus. A lot of the same reasons, I think. You know, with what he's given, again, he's the offensive mind. He's, you know, the offense is his kind of baby. Hasn't obviously lived up to expectations so far. Ed Donatel kind of letting him do his own thing on defense. Um, you know, I, when I just look at this as a whole right now, I see the potential is there for sure. And I think a lot of people expect this offense to get better gradually week by week. But right now through four weeks, yeah, uh, the intangibles for sure are there. But you're right. Uh, you know, a lot of people going from that Mike Zimmer era, horrible clock management, um, very ultra conservative, let the defense win these games, never go for it on fourth down. We thought that would change so far through four weeks through KOC, and it just hasn't. So I'll go with the C plus for a lot of the same reasons. I'll be a little bit more optimistic here, which I think is unusual for me on the show. Uh, I'm going to go with a B minus. I think that the culture stuff matters a little bit. Um, certainly what Sam said, I think is true about what, uh, ways that like players buy in. I think that's made a difference. It's really helped them when it comes to, you know, overcoming deficits and stuff like that. Um, but I think more importantly, the X's and O's stuff, I agree that this is all very frustrating because I don't think we're seeing kind of the things that we're seeing. I think that uh, the whole point of like when you have someone like Justin, you can always take advantage of the presence on the field. You know whether that means you know finding a way to open them up and and give them opportunities to get yards themselves, or find ways to get yards otherwise. But you know we haven't seen that. We also haven't seen uh, very much in the way of enabling Dalvin Cook. And this is supposed to be kind of a run game atmosphere. But I think when it comes to, uh, find like I think those opening scripts are phenomenal. But when it comes down to finding hidden advantages, he's actually doing a, an okay job. At that, I think that you know the fact that the Vikings are three and one 
um, even though they don't feel like they're a very good team. I think some of that has to do with his coaching. I think a lot of it has to do um, with uh, some of the stuff that, that he's been able to do on the fringes, whether that means, you know, a motioning out of Thielen here or putting Justin Jefferson in the backfield here or lining up Matt Alexander Madison that wide. You know, he's been great at screen design. I think that that's actually really helpful. Um, but on top of that, sorry about the, uh, the PA, uh, but on top of that, um, I think that his game management is better than Zimmer's. It's been bad, um, but it's been better than Zimmer's, right? I think that, you know, we've seen a better usage of timeouts. This is a long PA. Um, but, you know, and, and I think that we've seen, uh, you know, better decisions on fourth down. I think the Lions game is a good example of, you know, when he went in fourth down a lot. We didn't see it in this game, but we saw it a little bit in the Lions game. We saw a little bit in the Eagles game. Um, I think that that's fine. So I think that, you know, he could be doing a lot better, right? But I think the reason that they're 3-1 and one, despite playing poorly, some of that has to do with coaching. Some of it's luck. I think some of it's coaching. So I'm going to go with a B-. minus. Thanks, Arif, and don't leave your bag unattended. Will Raggett's rounded out. Yeah, I'm willing to give O'Connell a, a B for pretty much the same reasons that Arif just echoed, like Arif just said. Like, I think it's fair to question how much of the close game luck is coaching versus how much is, is luck. But I'm going to give them credit for it because they're 3-1, and one, and they're winning these close games. And I'm really bullish on O'Connell just – as a leader to start, like, I think he's really like the, the culture change stuff. I think that's real. The buy-in, I think that's real. Uh, and then schematically X's and O's wise. Yeah. There, there's a lot of improvements to make, but it's early. And I think that they will make adjustments and that, you know, he will continue finding the ways, ways to get the ball to his playmakers and make things easy on Kirk cousins uh, to the, whatever extent he can. And yeah, I've been impressed by the opening scripts. I mean, yesterday was a great example. They, Get, get third and goal from the 15, and they drop a great screen to Alexander Madison to score a touchdown there. Um, I think his, his game management, there was maybe we're a little like recency biased E because uh, the end of the first half yesterday was just kind of weird with not using timeouts and uh, may, maybe could have gone for it on fourth down there after Johnny Munt dropped that pass. But I think for the most part, it's been, it's been fine. Uh, I haven't really like come away from most of these games thinking that game management is going to be an issue this year. So I'm willing to give give O'Connell a B through through four weeks with the knowledge that he is probably the first person to tell you it hasn't gone completely to plan so far, but they're winning games anyways, which provides kind of a good foundation to keep improving and keep kind of building out what he wants this team to be, especially on offense. Yeah, you do like the accountability that he's shown, and you do like that he kind of has Sean McVay in his ear too. They pounded that story into the ground on the broadcast yesterday talking about how they are still texting and talking quite a bit. Uh, we're going to do a four-minute drill and an injury update coming up. Just a reminder to subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota wherever you get your podcasts. We are free and available, and we are also free and available on YouTube where you can like, comment, and subscribe. Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Hey, comment with your coaching grade, quarterback grade, offensive grade below in the comment section. Leaving a comment helps other people discover the show. And once more, we are available on the Amazon Fire and Roku apps, the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app, a fantastic viewing experience. Lewis seen injured badly yesterday. Luke Inman, videos on Twitter, you posted it. Maybe be careful if you watch it. Arif Hassan, you saw the replay in building. Um, pretty bad scene there. And, and maybe, Arif, you can take us through what that was like in the stadium because we really didn't get a taste on NFL Network at all. We didn't see the, the replay, um, and they really went to commercial for most of it. So what was that moment like? I mean, it was, it was pretty somber, right? I think that the rest of the stadium – um, it took them a little bit of time to kind of understand the gravity of the moment. Uh, thankfully, the uh, the replay was not played on on the giant boards. That would have been, uh, I think, pretty disrespectful. But um, we did get to see a little bit of it on the tiny little monitors they gave the the press, um, and I mean, it was it was it was absolutely gruesome. Um, and I think that uh, when uh, you know the second round of trainers came out, these are the ones that put the aircast on. I think everyone had a really big understanding of how serious this was. The players on both teams were, were already kneeling pretty quickly. So there, there was a, a somber moment. And this is like a very festive environment, right? Because 
uh, London games are not just football games, which are already, you know, pretty festive, but they're events, right? The, they were treating it like an event. They had MCs basically in the stadium, right? It was, it was wild. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and so to have kind of all of that tamped down and somber, I think that really put something on top of it that uh, I think really kind of brought the gravity of that, uh, you know, home. And I think, you know, it was, uh, it was nice to see the fans that were really respectful of kind of everything that was happening. And, you know, as he was carted off, they shouted out words of encouragement and stuff like that, which actually you don't actually see a ton of. Um, but uh, that was that was that was um, it was nice to see. But it was certainly um, kind of a sobering moment. Yeah. So having not really watched it myself and just trying to understand more of what he's dealing with from a recovery standpoint, are we talking like compound fracture reef? I don't know what kind of fracture um, it happened quickly. Kind of hate talking about it. It seemed to happen quickly, so it could yeah. be a simple fracture. And if that's the case, you know, obviously that's a lot better. That heals faster, and it has a less likelihood of, uh, you know, creating complications down the road or creating setbacks or uh, impacting him athletically, which obviously is going to be important to him um, as you go on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it reminds me of like Livingston, right? Like it's that Sean Livingston. Um, where um, it, it took a while to get to get fully healthy. I mean, to me, based off of what I saw, not a doctor, don't know anything, uh, it, it's really less a question of if he's going to be back in a year and more a question of can he be back in a year and a half, maybe? Mm. Like, it, it, mm. was, it was really gruesome looking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this is going to affect his career for sure. Um, that I mean, that's... That's so rough for Lewisine. You know, dealt with the knee injury early on, battled back. Uh, we were waiting to kind of see him unleashed, and now that won't happen for uh, quite a long time. And kind of continues this this tough stretch for the Vikings too of first round draft picks, injuries. It's been kind of a, an alarming trend. Not that there's anything the Vikings can do about that. Um, injuries in general, Will Raggetts, seen obviously, and then you've got Thielen limping around with a calf. Um, I think Harrison Smith's going to be okay after his little issue, but uh, Kendrick's missed a little bit of time. Zadarius and Cook obviously were limited in their ability yesterday. So uh, how do you stack up the injury situation in general? Yeah, it's it's not ideal. It's something you're going to run into during a football season, especially maybe when you have a little bit more of a, a veteran-heavy team. I don't know the details of any of the other players. I know Harrison Smith uh, seemed to avoid anything serious, might have just gotten a hit in a sensitive area. I I'll say on scene, like, um, yeah, you see just in Kevin O'Connell's comments and, and some of the player comments, like how much he means to that team and how much of an impact he's already had uh, in the locker room as a rookie, by all accounts. I mean, we talked to him. He's, he seems like a great kid. So you feel awful for him. I, I will say also that I'm glad that NFL Network did not show the replay. Um, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, obviously it's going to end up on on Twitter. Like if you want to see it, you'll be able to, but I'm glad they didn't broadcast it, especially when I'm like a few days earlier, Amazon Prime insisted on showing Tua Tagovailoa like mashing his head against the ground like six times. And that was just, right. that felt really disrespectful to me. So I'm glad that NFL Network did not go that route. Yeah. Luke Inman, you've been really bullish, speaking of injured players, about Andrew Booth. Like, you think that when Andrew Booth come back, comes back, that's going to have a big impact on this secondary. And with Cam Dantzler, you know, being a little shaken up, maybe that happens sooner than later. Hey, maybe even against Chicago. Do you, what do you make of his possible impact on this defense? Well, you know, I don't know if he'll have a big impact. I'm hoping he will. Remember, a lot of people had a first-round grade on him coming out. The the injury knocks is, is what kind of, um, you know, made him fall into the second round of the laps of the Vikes. But um, I just think Ed Donatel, when I look at, you know, the lack of creativity, the sub-packages, the wrinkles that he's used, you mentioned how little he's uh, chosen to drop, the blitzes as well. I think he just doesn't feel like he has the guys in the back end specifically to leave out on islands, Pat P, Cam Dantzler, Chandon Sullivan, whoever it may be on any given play, uh, to 
to drop a little bit more aggressiveness in those game plans, especially on third down, third and long, those situations. Maybe Andrew Booth can help that. He's certainly not going to be, you know, this golden child that comes in and all of a sudden is the saving grace for the defense by any means. But maybe just injecting a little bit of youth, some fresh legs, and again, a more physical, big-bodied corner that maybe he feels a little bit more confident leaving out on an island in one-on-one situations, and then allows you to drop a couple more aggressive looks. Maybe you bring a safety down in the box on a blitz. We finally saw Harrison Smith on a blitz yesterday, and things turned out good. I think uh, he had a tackle for loss or, or a loss for no gain on a running play. But, you know, switching some things up here um, is going to be vital for this defense if they want to improve from where they're at right now. And I think, you know, anything to start switching it up, like getting a guy like Andrew Booth, could could certainly help. We don't know if it will or not. He could go through these rookie lumps like a lot of rookies go through and probably be inconsistent, especially the first month or two. But I think the talent was there coming out of Clemson on film that, you know, he could turn into that number two or maybe even number one guy, certainly not anytime soon, but, you know, down the road. But he needs to get these reps. He needs to get on the field um, sooner than later. And, and as far as just the injuries in general for the Vikes, I mean, yeah, uh, we'll mention it. It's the NFL. You're, you're just never going to be close to 100% at any point in the season. And I think, you know, all in all, I think the Vikings are probably in better shape than the majority of teams out there right now. Up until the Lewisine mm-hmm. injury yesterday, I think the Vikes made it, what, you know, all preseason, all training camp, three full weeks of the season, um, and just had one semi-big name uh, go down with a season-long injury, and that was B.C. Johnson. So a lot of guys dinged up. But that's pretty normal at this point. I think the big key, though, is the majority are just dings. You know, I, I, I guys aren't mm-hmm. being shelled for long chunks of the season like we've seen in years past, like Daniil Hunter, just for example. That bye week probably sounds pretty good right now, but, you know, they elected to push that back a few weeks. Hopefully they can get through these next two games without any more major injuries. But that's why you draft depth, too, whether it's Josh Metellus for Harry or Asamoah or Troy Dye for Kendricks. Madison and Kenny, we know they got great depth. If Dalvin were to miss a game or two, uh, Wanham, Patrick Jones for Zedarius, who seems a little dinged up. But yeah, circling back, I think Andrew Booth should be back in the mix this week. Just based off the injury report last week, it sounds like he was maybe a 50-50 to go in London. Hopefully you start seeing him uh, on the injury uh, report, start to uh, be upgraded from you know doubtful to questionable, hopefully probable this week. And their willingness to use a Caleb Evans kind of proves to me Mm -hmm. that they'll probably be willing to use Andrew Booth if he's healthy enough to go. Uh, Before our four-minute drill, let's update our gambling from last week. We had a few guys treading water. Arif Hassan, one and one. Sam Ekstrom, one and one. Luke Braun, one and one. But we did have somebody go 0 for 2, and that was our leader, Luke Inman coming back to the pack. Ooh, Luke, the Jags let you down, and the Ravens and Bills didn't score many points either. How do you feel today? I feel fine. We'll bounce back. You know, it's a uh, hit the reset button and, uh, you know, got to have a short memory in this league, Sam. I I think we'll be okay. Very steady approach of you. We will make our picks on Thursday's show for this upcoming week. Uh, We might have a guest picker. For Braun, that's an interesting element because if you miss a show, you don't have the right to pick. I mean, someone else has to pick for you. So on Thursday, I don't know if Braun, Braun might be gallivanting in the London countryside still, um, and we'll have to have someone pick for him. Uh, four-minute drill here, our final. Yeah, yeah, well. English what, countryside, at, Sam? What did I say? British? You said London. London? You said London. <laughs> London doesn't have countryside? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go a little further. You're telling away, me that the city of London doesn't have <laughs> rural areas? <laughs> um, our final little exercise of the show. It's our four-minute drill. Will you? We all get one minute to argue our case, and I think it's a difficult exercise. So I'm going to challenge us here. I want us each to spend a minute trying to explain what the identity of this offense is. What is it? I don't think anybody knows, but I want us to take a crack at it. We'll let Arif Hassan go first. Wahlburgers in Boston. Arif, see the timer on go. the screen. All right, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, I, uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't think that there is an identity for the offense. I think that you know, when you ask what the identity of an offense is, you ask basically. 
what do they want to do and what are the base plays, right? And I don't think the Vikings have a base play. I don't think they've got a running base play. I don't think they've got a passing base play. I don't think they've got an understanding of the things that they want to do, right? In the Zimmer era, you would say, hey, the Vikings want to run the ball and they want to do play action. On play action, they want to make sure that they get some of these deep shots in. I don't know what the Vikings want to do. Do they just want to confuse people? That's not a base play. What happens when you're down in the dirt and you need to dig into something that you know that you're comfortable with? What play are you going to call upon? I don't think the Vikings have that. So to me, they don't have an identity. We don't know if they like to run the ball. We don't know if they like to throw the ball. We don't know where they like to throw the ball. We don't know like how they want to run the ball. They're not even a zone running team all that much anymore. They're doing as much gap running as they've been doing zone running. So how what they specialize in, what they do, how they attack opponents, there's no identity. I think that they want to be a matchup team. I think they want to be a complex team that attacks people like Belichick does. It isolates offenses by attacking weak points, but that's not what this team does. So in terms of the things that it wants to do, um, it doesn't do that. In terms of things it can do, we don't know what those are. Will Raggetts, SI.com. Your minutes in the four-minute drill starts now. All right. Well, I will. I don't want to, like, agree too much with the reef, but I kind of have to because, hey, he's a smart guy. The We don't know what the Vikings' identity is yet on offense. And we. I think we know what, like – they they vision is like what what they want it to be well I, all right i think kevin o'connell wants to be a team that his offense wants to run a lot of 11 personnel when justin jefferson is not being double and triple covered they're going to funnel the ball to justin jefferson because he is kind of a uniquely talented receiver and it's going to start with him and then the other pieces will fall into place beyond that they want to get dalvin cook going on the ground they haven't really done that yet but they want to find ways to maybe get dalvin cook the ball in space they want to take advantage of the versatility of their tight ends with Irv Smith Jr. being a guy who can run intermediate to even deep routes. Johnny Munt and Ben Ellison uh, having some like multiplicity with their ability to block and then leak out for underneath routes. Uh, and they just want to be a team that kind of marries a run in the pass and makes things look different. But uh, we haven't seen a lot of success of that so far. Yeah, I'll go next. I, I think you guys make salient points. I think I would boil it down as simply as I can and say that it is they are passing to set up the run and their play selection would indicate that and it's not as if they've been trailing by large margins in these games like they've been either ahead or very close in all these games so kind of everything's been on the table and they are sixth in pass attempts and 24th in rush attempts and that is a huge difference from the previous era so at minimum you can say that there is an adaptation here they are passing more and running less And I think that's sort of the direction that you want to move in. And I thought that the Green Bay game was the perfect example of passing early. Remember, they had that masterpiece drive where I think they threw eight out of ten times, opened the scoring to open the season, and then they ran it really well in the second half and iced that game away when they had a lead. I think that's the formula they want to use. But I appreciate that at least the play selection is typically – um, more modern, and except for those second and ten runs with drive, which drive me crazy, it's been pretty good. Luke Inman. No, I think all you guys are right. There's not much of an identity right now. It's still an offense that when they do run the ball, though, they want to run it effectively. Don't think I'm going on a crazy limb there and create mismatches with that pre-snap motion, that window dressing, whether it's 11 personnel or it's Kirk under center with a fullback and a tight end on the field. Problem right now running game's just not been effective. Dalvin, kind of a boomer bust runner. Problem is when you're not getting even just two, three yards on some of those runs like he had a hard time yesterday, it makes life so much harder once you get to third down because now they pin their ears back. Kirk's just looking panicky, feels pressured, not keeping his eyes up downfield. Just like the third in goal when he missed Jefferson in the corner of the end zone instead went to Thielen underneath. So I think once they find a little bit more rhythm and balance and better marriage, like Will said, between the run and the pass game, you'll see Kirk afforded more time in the pocket where it really shines. And then you'll see this offense clicking a little bit more like we thought it would. The core identity, though, I think is always going to be the 11 personnel running that three wide receiver look the majority of time. K.J. Osborne yesterday, 61 snaps, 85% of the plays yesterday. So that's their bread and butter for sure. Hey, did Sharp football go paywall? Because I used to rely on Sharp for my like personnel groupings, and it's not there this year. Does anybody know? Anyone? Do you no look? idea. I, I I used to do that too. I just I've gone to there and you, it just says twenty twenty one. Like I don't. There, it doesn't appear to right. be an option to 
update it to 2022. So I don't know if that will be the case at some point or not. But. Yeah, if any data people out there can tell me where to find personnel stuff, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Um, in closing, Will, we'd like to, to give our party foul for the week. That's the biggest faux pas or blunder that you witnessed in culture, sports, or your personal life. Matt DeBritz, run it. I got, a, I got um, an easy one, uh, uh, just Luke. real quick. Rogers calling out his center for not snapping the ball, caught on Mike for the world to hear was great, dropping a massive <laughs> F-bomb. For then Tony Romo to then sit there to dissect a little bit was even more hilarious. Um, but but that's the one I'm going with this week. I thought that was great. If you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. Phenomenal. Arif? Uh, yeah, I'm going to harsh the vibe a little bit. I'll talk about the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I think that they – I certainly deserve this party foul. I think John Harbaugh was right when he was like, I've never seen that in my life. I think that um, the NFLPA's most recent statement is probably the most correct one. I, I feel like they've been playing this one a little bit weird, but essentially, you know, if Tua's back injury was so bad uh, that he had instability, he shouldn't be out there, right? If it wasn't back back injury. I think there's a reasonable amount of suspicion from actual like neurologists uh, that uh, it probably wasn't a back injury. Uh, and uh, in consulting with neurologists, the NFLPA ended up firing um, the, the doctor that evaluated Tua Tagovailoa. So either way, you know, there's, there's a reason to believe that there was a lot of concern about Tua's long-term and short-term health. And I'm going to put it on the Miami Dolphins for putting them out there. Now, obviously, you cannot predict from play to play whether or not somebody is going to suffer a re-injury. But the risk of re-injury is pretty high. And the impact of re-injury is remarkably high. Just ask Joppa Best, right, what can happen when, it, when mm. somebody with a concussion gets into a concussion. So uh, that's on Miami for not protecting player health. I think the NFLPA is not handling this as well as they could because it seems like they're shifting their focus or their blame or what they're trying to accomplish. They should have been clear from the start, but I think that they're fighting the right fight, essentially. Um, and, uh, and, and Mike McDaniel handled it, handled it poorly. Yeah, how about the Gophers stubbing their toe against Purdue? on Saturday, particularly the play where they dropped the touchdown and the ball popped in the air into Purdue guys' hands. It was that kind of day. Um, and the Gophers tend to do this. They kind of have their own version of Vikings-Bills 2018. They do this against inferior teams once or twice a year. Um, and uh, I guess we'll have to, to table the national championship preview that I was planning. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be Gophers, Alabama, like tail of the tape. And now uh, we're stuck talking about Illinois and other boring teams. James Madison football remains undefeated. Just put that out there. Oh, good for them. <laughs> yeah, Northwestern football is uh, one and four. So that that's not what I was going to go with. But the Gophers are still in a much better position uh, than, than my squad. I, I will go with the game I watched in the uh, the noon window yesterday, which was the Ravens-Bills and the Ravens not only blowing a 20 to 3 lead but having the ball in a tie game at 2020 in the low red zone and just having an opportunity to kick a field goal and take the lead and John Harbaugh it wasn't so much that he went for it because I kind of like the aggressiveness to go for it on fourth and goal it was the the play call where he had Lamar I think he was in the shotgun and then he just like immediately is rolling to his right and it just got really muddied up in the end zone and it never had a chance and you'd like to take advantage of, of Lamar's legs more with like maybe a zone read or, or do something or, or maybe even just kick the field goal. I, I didn't like the way uh, John Harbaugh handled that whole situation there. Harbaugh's got some serious cojones. It helps when you win a Super Bowl, you get a lot of leash and you can make those kind of decisions. Um, I still respect it, but he seems to be on the wrong side of a lot of those in the past couple of years. Yeah, and then Will. Marcus Peters barking at uh, his head coach, John Harbaugh, afterwards, yeah. too. They were getting heated, too, which, uh, I mean, you love the drama, you know, from the outside mm -hmm. looking in, but holy smokes. I'm, I'm here for it. Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman, Superior Sports Talk. Check him out with Reggie Wilson of CARE 11. Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network, back now from London. He'll be back on the show on Thursday. Will Raggett's in for uh, the gallivanter himself, Luke Braun. He's at Will Raggetts, SI.com, Inside the Vikings. Thanks for joining us, Will. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we kept you a little overtime as well. And I'm Sam Ekstrom. We'll talk to everyone on Thursday. Like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube channel. It's Locked On Sports Minnesota. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad 
free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.